Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode, a scintillating episode, a jam-packed episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, as always. Yeah, I'm always Dan Olds. With me, as always, are Shaheen Khan and Henry Newman. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, excellent, Dan. Doing well, Dan. Uh, Henry, I noticed no hat in the basement. Has spring finally hit? I actually have flowers on my my plum tree and peach tree, it smells. Excuse me, pear tree. It smells beautiful outside. Oh wow! I would dearly love to see another sixteen, eighteen inches of snow hit you as we're talking right now. <laughs> it happened it just sound- north. Happened. A, it happened north of me in Duluth. They got a foot earlier this week. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I have to introduce a uh, guest co-host, Mike Booth. Mike, how you doing? Doing good. So what's the deal with you? Run down uh, what you, where you've been and what you've done and all that kind of stuff for our audience. Well, I guess I could say I've been in supercomputing since 1979. Uh, was a research analyst at uh, AEDC in Tullahoma working on the Cray and then Cray advertised and then I started at Cray in 1980. Ah. And, and then uh, stayed at Cray till through 2000. My last job was running software and applications divisions at, nice. uh, at Cray and a left on the, on the acquisition of Terra ah. and we won't get into that. Then I went on and was a GM at uh, Storage Tech, had the network systems division and then mm-hmm. I went to, uh, I, I got out of the big systems business completely and went to uh, run MetroWorks which is an engineering group that did all of stuff for at the time Motorola then we spun out with Freescale. Mm. And that was a worldwide organization. And then I left them, had a short stint at a little bitty uh, embedded computer shop, and then started uh, consulting on my own at uh, Oak Ridge uh, with the uh, Luster file system. We were part of the, Mm. and then that stopped real quickly because of, uh, uh, I don't know what the whole deal was, but Sun, uh, Sun got bought by um, Oracle. Oracle. Yeah, <clears throat> and so then they took on responsibility for the whole thing, and I think they, the the guys at Oak Ridge, kind of lost interest in continuing to sponsor the Luster Center of Excellence, and so we went on to, uh, I went on to D Wave shortly after that. Oh yeah, uh, with a short stay at, at Yark Data, le- learning about that thread machine and mm. and those things and then actually that's when i worked with henry a lot we did a we put together the hpc performance benchmarks <clears throat> for cray around that time and uh that was i had a funny story with that one well one tell night. us okay so <clears throat> so i've told this to a few people as they were shutting down Jaguar, we got the whole thing to test out the HPC performance benchmarks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got all of Jaguar from a Friday through a Monday. Oh, wow. 
And uh, that was the same night that they had the tsunami hit in Japan. Just before the tsunami hit, I was watching Big Bang Theory as we're running from home. And that was the night they had the episode where Sheldon says, he he says, I've got to figure this out and I'm going to hack into Jaguar at Oak Ridge. <laughs> and so we're all on the line and say, doing a status here. I don't see. I don't see. <laughs> so that was my funny story. That was one of those all night benchmarks. But we managed to run pretty fast across the board. Then <clears throat> went on to D-Wave. Uh, I was there for five years and learned about a completely different kind of computing uh, where, and, and we can probably talk about that some. Uh, yeah. Later. But I mean, quantum computing is addressing it, is not dr- addressing the high performance computing marketplace. Right. Uh, at sure. all. And that's, that's an interesting uh, discussion. And uh, so now I will be starting a new job. Um, well, I, I accepted this week, but next week, uh, Steve Reinhardt and I are are starting with a startup company where Steve's going to be head of products, and I'm going to be the chief technical officer for uh, Quantum Computing, Inc. All right. We're going to build uh, application-ready software for when quantum does finally come to roost. Hmm. That is excellent. And, and what, Steve, what, of course, is another... Your- What's your Highly languages? Distinguished engineer. Yeah, what languages? Oh, languages? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> See, you need a course in, in, in uh, um, where we'll pick up is, is a, uh, like, mixed integer objective functions, which could be just about any language you want. Okay. Uh, in the sense that you kind of create that some people like to do it in Python, uh, like think of an input language to Cplex. That's where you want to kind of start. Um, but uh, there's a lot of writing in Python because the computational load is not there. Uh, I tend to write in C. The main thing I did at uh, at uh, D-Way was write a, a sort of a hybrid solver called QBSolve, which mm-hmm. is the popular one out there. You want to just do a quick... We covered it on this show. Yeah, oh, I think did. we did, didn't we? Yeah. So I'm the sole author pretty much of that code. And uh, the objective there is to be fast. Oh, yeah. Small memory. My next objective will be to get it running on pretty significant amount of parallelism in GPUs and other devices. Very nice. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about quantum and where you're coming down on it and what you how you see quantum um, interfacing with existing um, HPC. Oh, okay. So I learned early on when I went to D-Wave, uh, uh, there's a whole different class of people that are trying to compute things from the high-performance compute arena. This class of people has been spending, have been spending all their investment money on, uh, on algorithms. Mm-hmm. And they've spent almost nothing on computers. Hmm. I learned that the HPC space, you really have, you have the people who write code to fit onto new architectures. 
and you have whole organizations that are set aside just figuring out how to get the money together and build and maintain huge machines. Well, that doesn't exist in the side of people that are trying to solve really big problems. And the problem in the MP space is their problems get big so fast mm-hmm. uh, that they're just beyond uh, uh, the kind of problems that you're trying to solve on supercomputers. Uh, and that's where the, the quantum comes in. <clears throat> the quantum uh, is not a, really a digital computer at all. It is at least the D-wave type computer is uh-huh. a quantum annealer. It is basically laid out a problem in qubits and magnets and resistors and connectors uh, in the form of a, uh, a cubo or an icing model. Mm-hmm. And that's a combinatorial problem of which if you want to search the entire space, take two to the qubits. So two to the two thousandths is the number of, is the search space for resolving that problem. Mm. And two to the two thousandths is probably way beyond the number of, of protons in the universe. You know, it's just beyond, uh, beyond imagination. It is beyond, yeah. <laughs> well, the way I remember this one is the, the old Cray 1 clock used to be set on year 00, zero uh, for Christborn, and it was updated every clock period, which was 12 and, a half, 12 and a half nanoseconds on the Cray for the 1. First, yeah. Uh, Cray 1, we, yeah. We didn't have to do anything until we got into the Cray, uh, Cray 2, but it didn't fill up 64 bits. Hmm. And so thinking about it, if you're going at 12 and a half nanoseconds for 2,000 years and we're able to search, you can only search two to the 64th. Mm. So that okay. kind of gives you a space. And then two to the 65th is twice that. Two to the 66th is twice that again. And you just keep going out there. So those numbers are huge. There's all kinds of heuristics to try to search those spaces. But it's, it's interesting. What the quantum computer does, which is the fantastic thing about it it is incredible to see what it does is it just collapses into that solution and when it gets the answer wrong you can most you can attribute the the answer to quantum noise uh but an awful lot of it is the fact that it's an analog device and it's not a perfect circuit uh you know i mean you got magnets in there you're setting them you can't set them to a perfect digital piece right Mm -hmm. uh Uh, I did uh, an example. Uh, There were a couple of codes that were put native to the D-Wave annealer and and ran it for one second sampling it and got the very best answer it could from that, which is mean it's a very, very hard problem. And it took over six weeks to not find that answer with a taboo solver. On a four gig on a four gigahertz machine, so hmm. so so you kind of these numbers are just not in the same space as the HPC space, <clears throat> but I mean um, there are problems that the HPC space probably could use and solve once we get those kind of annealers, but it'll be off in the corner of the simulation, um, like phase change mm. and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, physics. But it's it's a it's very entertaining. It's very exciting. Um, 
requires tons of innovation. It's not just seeing how many more chips you can stack together, um, which, you know, I feel a little bit like the HPC community has kind of more clever ways to stack more chips together and more clever ways to line them up, but it's not as innovative as I'd like it to be. Yeah, I think the innovation there these days is all in the accelerators uh -huh. and how using stuff. Yeah, and 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 that's where you see just the proliferation of new chips and new silicon trying to address the whole emerging AI thing. And and I would suggest that quantum will always be that way. Yeah. You think? Yes, quantum is always going to be in the accelerator mode even more so because uh, it, it, I think even in the uh, uh, in the gate-based model community, and uh, the gate-based model community has a a big road, to a, a whole bunch of hurdles to climb over that D-Wave has already climbed over. Mm. And uh, so, what problems so, can be solved at this point? I mean, that are problems that can't be solved. You know, that are I. You hate to use the word, but toy problems, but problems that can't be hmm. solved today on classical computer systems. Well, there are problems that can't be solved on classical computer systems, and they're, st they're still too big for D-Wave. D-Wave has two issues in it. One is the connectivity. Well, actually three. Connectivity, the size, and the amplitude that you can set these connectors, uh, these resistors and magnets at. And those are all things that are being addressed, and they're clearly things that can be addressed. Mm. Uh, but those are the, some of the, you know, the practical things that, are, that they have to iterate through chip by chip by chip because each one of them requires the same kind of innovation that we saw going from the 8086 to the Pentium kind of stuff. Mm. And, you know, there are lots of little discoveries and innovations and uh, technologies that have to be created in the fab. And so that's where D-Wave is clearly ahead. Um, mm. But you can see they are on a path where you're going to be able to solve those. And they're also the, uh, you realize that the power is not equated to the density of the, of the system like it was right. in the law. It's equated to the, the size of the, the number of qubits yeah. that you're able to push into it. Yeah. It's totally breaks Moore's law, right? Well, yeah, it, it basically does an exponential kind of thing. Every time right. you double on it, you've, I don't know. I don't, so if you go from 512, you go from 2 to the 512 to 1,000. Well, that's doubled, but that's 2 to the 512 to 2 to the 1,000. So what is that, 2 to the 512 improvement? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, but it's not really that much because there there are algorithms that can cheat out. Mm -hmm. um, and not do the full experimental space, but well, isn't all of it is just decoherence, like you were saying? It's noise and how it basically uh -huh. reduces the effectiveness of how many qubits you got. Well, so you you have a you have a noise factor that goes in when you you take a digital problem and it has an amplitude, uh, you know, it has an amplitude of of from the smallest to the largest, the minus. 800 to plus 800. Well, you've got to shrink that down to minus 64 plus 64, and you've got to scale the whole problem there. Right. right. Then you have the accuracy because it is a physical 
it, it's an analog system. And then you have the, the, the resistance between the components, right. the same thing there. So there is an error when you program it, right? So what's in that analog chip is not precisely what you meant to be in that chip. Mm. Just digital analog. Uh, and then you have the noise piece. Which D-Way is way ahead on that. You know, you run it, what, 10 millikelvin? Yeah. And isolation is very good. Mm. Um, well, that, so, they've been at it the longest too, right? Yes, yes, they have. And I can tell you that the uh, I have the highest respect for the hardware about you, D-Wave. They are just... You know what they're doing. <laughs> they do. Yeah. They are some smart fellows. Yeah. Well, Very I think, you cool. know, the whole, the whole space, when I, when I talk to anybody who's, like, involved with quantum computing, really, the, the ratio of super experts and PhDs to sort of, you know, mere mortals is, like, significant... And yes. and and it's just like that. That's 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 where that is. So if you think of like the other players, obviously IBM and you know Google is doing their thing, and Rigetti is doing it, and there are like a couple of others that are going on that you probably know about, and and Microsoft I think has some play. Not not not, and that's not counting all the international activity that's going on. Geez, can uh, you ask a longer question? I can. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Uh, so if you think of all of that, uh, they're they're all kind of taking a different approach to this. Uh, can the software just run regardless of what underlying approach is taken to it, whether it's trapped ion or silicon or photonics or whatnot? Um, so you're asking me about the gate model approaches. I do believe that the gate model approaches are, at the highest level, probably somewhat compatible. Um, in, but that's the thing I know the least about. I studied up a little bit on the gate model stuff prior to joining D-Wave, and I was very impressed with the fact that all of the Boolean had been worked out for X, X gates, OR gates, AND gates, all these other things, and uh, there was no physical system to do it. Uh, and then as I got into D-Wave, you know, people were struggling with getting a single gate or something running. Mm. Now they're up to a few gates. Mm. But when mm. I was talking to some of the guys out at Oak Ridge that are playing on those machines, you know, they got to get a thousand runs before one of the runs worked. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's different from the, the D-Wave thing because they're really trying to run a gate model like a digital model thing with an analog device. And, and D-Wave has an analog device. Mm. Uh, and what it does is it deals with this coherence as a natural play in the, in the anneal cycle. Um, so D-Wave's basic language is you've got to convert your program. So NP-complete problems. They're basically problems that you can check the answer. You basically can calculate the value of the answer very easily, but you've got to search this monstrous space to find out if you found the smallest one. Easy one to think about that is traveling salesman problem. It's very simple to add up all the distance between the cities you've chosen. Uh, it's not so simple to, to figure out what is the shortest distance. Uh -huh. And the shortest distance is, is always some sort of a form of trial and error, right? Mm -hmm. And so what... Um, 
is a theorem is that all MP-complete models can be written to all other MP-complete models. Okay. So then you can say, and so that's one of the beauties of this quantum anneal is you say, well, I'm going to build a cubo, which is a quantum, oh my, uh, quadratic unconstrained binary optimization problem, which is just a formula of sum of this bit vector across this uh, matrix. Uh, in other words, it's, it's also a uh, graph problem. And you're looking for the bit vector that will, when multiplied times that, will come up with the uh, minimum value. And so therein lies the two to the number of bits, number of operations to, in order to actually search that whole space. But you can then convert any problem to any other problem. There's a little mm -hmm. aside on that. You may have an exponential blow up in the variable count. Um, and, and so, you know, there's some guys out there working on this stuff. Fred Glover is a, is a, well, Fred Glover has just become one of my heroes. He wrote the original Taboo Solver. He's been around forever. He's been, uh, uh, he reminds me a lot of Les Davis. Oh, right. From Cray Research. I remember Very soft-spoken, but man, is he smart. Uh, he's, he's in his 80s, but he's got one of the fastest minds. We'll talk to him and... And suddenly we'll get this three-page paper back from him at one in the morning because he's just his brain is going so fast. <laughs> but techniques to once you've converted to a cubo that if you did have this high variable expansion techniques to kind of suck some of those out. Uh, for instance, I mean, like the traveling salesman problem is a it explodes by n squared. So you got fifty cities. The sure. first transformation of it is you do 50 squared routes mm -hmm. that have to be put in as a selection algorithm with those routes put into the cubo. Well, 50 squared is quite big. Yeah. Now, you know that you can probably eliminate a bunch of those routes. So prior to saying, I'm going to solve this cubo, you can do some transformations on it. I liken this to the process of, you know, a front end in a C language picks mm -hmm. up the C program and it writes down the pure program. Nobody in their right mind would run straight out of the C front end into the back end compile, right? You're going to shrink those operations because they're repetitive, they're junk. I mean, you're going to make multiple passes over the C program. And then now what compilers probably have, well, I know they have many, many passes. I did run compilers for Cray for about seven years. I remember uh, They that. have many, many passes that keep improving what that program is, and it also has to parallelize it. Well, the same thing can happen to conversion of my MP, MP complete problem into a cubo. You may have some better transformations for converting to a cubo, and then you may have some even better transformations to shrink that puppy down, and you also have some possibilities for breaking it up so yeah okay well this is interesting stuff uh very deep deep dive into quantum and yeah, the we're, world gonna, of quantum. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to continue this 
Yeah. We absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. You want to do another one? The fun stuff. Yeah. We will. With Steve and I on here. We'll see. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Damn, Dan, it's not we'll see, it's when. <laughs> yeah, wrong answer. Well, we'll see when. Yeah, okay. But we do have something else we have to talk about. There was a huge announcement that came out about Cray and AMD are going to build a 1.5 exaflop supercomputer for Oak Ridge. In Tennessee. Wow. In, In Tennessee, Tennessee, which is where I am. Yeah. That is a big deal. Rocky Top, Tennessee. And this is going to be um, using, of course, AMD processors, but also AMD accelerators. AMD, that's right. AMD top to bottom with the um, uh, Cray Slingshot Interconnect. Yeah, it's a Cray system. I'll give you some stats. Austin Texas there on AMD, huh? That's right. AMD AMD is is getting back in the game. I mean, this is kind of like their early 2000s and, and, you know, they, they... they, they want back. Great. They want back. They want Good for back. Them. And, I, and, and yeah, absolutely. So they, they had this whole big announcement at Oak Ridge with Secretary Perry and, of course, the lab directors and, and the CEOs of uh, Cray and, and uh, AMD. Uh, they provided some stats that I recorded. This is going to be 100 Cray Shasta cabinets. Uh, it's 40 megawatts of power. Do the math to see what's the power per cabinet. And what that means for cooling. So it takes 5,900 gallons of water per minute for cooling it. Wow. It's got uh, a million pounds weight. It's a large number of school buses. That was their analogy. Uh, 7,300 square feet and 90 miles of cabling. 7,300 square feet. That actually that's a, surprise, uh, surprise, that's pretty, surprising. Pretty small. It's pretty yeah. dense. That's right. Yeah. It's pretty dense. Uh, they say how many nodes? Or did you see how many nodes? Uh well, the the Shasta boards can be one U. Are you sure uh, it's seventy three hundred, not seventy three thousand? Seventy three hundred is the number I saw too, Henry. That seems awful small. For, it does. You know, including the storage and the communication and all the other stuff. Seventy three hundred large houses. so yeah, that's a large house in Tennessee. Well, and and uh, power consumption at thirty to forty megawatts is pretty low too. It's a small house in Beverly Hills. <laughs> yes. Yes. About the same cost as well <laughs> at $500 million. But uh, they, they, they all did a good job, and, and, and I listened to the whole uh, video recording of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and Secretary Perry, one quote that he had was that we are determined to keep America at the forefront of the computer parade, if you will. And he went on to say more about how their commitment was uh, to uh, keeping ahead and uh, how DOE will be a part of it in partnerships with the private sector. Uh, everybody really was just not only in a good mood, but really did a f- very fine job. So very, very significant day. Yeah, and this is going to put us into a horse race situation with the Argon machine that Intel's working on, also with Cray. This is true. This is one of the, one of the few that does not have NVIDIA in it. Uh, it uh, is one of the few that uh, is in the U.S. and is in that category. Uh, it is a Cray system. I think this is a giant win for Cray because they had the one with Intel NVIDIA, this one with AMD. They've got the one in the U.K. that is ARM-based, that is also focused on AI. Uh, so I think it's showing that the heterogeneous nature of systems out there requires 
systems that can uh, use different CPUs and different accelerators. Which kind of fits into what Mike was saying about, you know, things being uh, in in the, the quantum world that you need things that are uh, that assist in what we're doing in classical computing. Yes. Yeah, you're not going to run the Linux kernel on a, even a quantum gate model computer. It's just yeah. not going to do it. You're, you're going to, there's just no reason to. PowerPoint is out of the question for a while. Uh, <laughs> well, and I guess the big question I've always had about uh, quantum computing is, is there going to be RAID on the motherboard, or do you need to add a RAID card in? <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Dan... Okay. On that note, let's go ahead and call this an episode. Uh, we want to thank Mike Booth for joining us. want to thank uh, all 12 to 15 of you. We don't have a solid handle on it, but thank uh, you all for listening, and we'll be coming at you very soon with another edition of Radio Free HPC. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening. <laughs>